How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 31, The Adversity. What does the word adversity mean to you? Cambridge University defines adversity as a difficult or unlucky situation or event. Dictionary.com defines adversity as a condition marked by misfortune, calamity, or distress. But these definitions do not tell the real story of adversity. To me, the definition of adversity is a mountain of fear we must climb to reach the other side of our authentic happiness, our authentic self. But first, we must first make the choice to climb. But how do we make this choice? How do we trust the choice to climb this mountain of fear? This choice of healing when we were never taught it's okay to trust. In fact, day after day, we were taught people cannot be trusted, especially from the ones who should know better. Trust the thing we're absolutely never shown. Most importantly, trust ourselves. I encourage you to listen to episode 28, The Reframe, first before today's episode. Episode 28, The Reframe, left me speechless. It's not often I meet someone whose childhood has similarities to mine much less someone who is as direct and transparent about the value of having a traumatic childhood, how reframing our conditioned perspective of our painful past is where your power lies and shows our true purpose. Today, I have brought back my new friend and brother, Chris Allen, who is the very definition of overcoming adversity. He has thankfully agreed to allow me to dive deeper into those traumatic childhood memories which leads to his story of overcoming childhood adversity. Chris Allen is the CEO and co-founder of Advanced Computing and Technology, former athlete, father of four, husband, an advocate for prisoners, and now works with the Black Contractors Association, helping former prisoners get job, jobs. The purpose of today's episode is to show you are safe. You are safe to trust that mountain of fear. You are safe to make the choice to heal. Chris and I are both examples of overcoming adversity. We are both examples of finding our authentic happiness we are all so worthy of. Hi, Chris Allen. Thank you for coming to my show and and trusting myself and my listeners with your journey. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me again. It's good to see you. Yeah, you just see good to see your face. We we've kind of met face to face before, but um, you know, we were on the phone with our last recording. So um, you know what's interesting? I knew we were recording today. I don't know about you, and I think it's important to be authentic and honest. Is I'm having anxiety today. How about you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Last night, not so well, but really? Yeah, yeah, it's uh you know, it's hit hit or miss because you put so much immense pressure on yourself. And then mm-hmm. uh, sometimes a lot of things don't make sense. So you have to regroup. So, but I'm, I'm pretty good at doing that. So you just got to yeah. take, take a moment just for a second. So, yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I right now, I have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Uh-uh. Nope. So it's interesting. I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was until maybe like four or five months ago. It's like when you're having this like big career change and you start questioning, are you, is this real? Like, are you really doing this? What makes you think you can do this? And it's this whole thing that you're like, I'm a fake ass person. This is not real. Like, like I was like, 
Christine, you're a podcaster. Really? That's is, you know, and you're going to discuss how to help people heal. Like, are you full of shit or what? Like, you know what I mean? And even like Maya Angelou, like she had, there's quotes about her. Like she's talking about, she's gone through imposter syndrome um, where she was like, I'll be releasing my 13th, 13th book. And she's like, you know, what the hell do you think you're doing? You know what I mean? And so, um, and it's just kind of like part of anxiety um, is like imposter syndrome. But I know one thing is that, um, and you know, like when I get anxiety, I don't, I don't always know why. Um, I know that I have my triggers are like heat, like it's hot today and it's humid. And so, um, but one thing I do and what, which I would love to do during the show today is I call it take five. And when we, we start breathing really fast and we're getting kind of worked up talking about all this stuff, um, I call it take five because when you get anxious, your frontal lobe goes offline and the rest of your brain goes, we're not safe. We're not safe. And so what you do is you slow your breathing down. So what I do is I say, take five and you breathe in for five and hold in your nose, hold it for five Mm -hmm. and then breathe out. And just doing that several times gets your frontal low back on and it starts going, you know what? We're okay. We're doing good. And you can think clearer and you feel more relaxed um, because I don't, I don't know about you, but I was never taught how to breathe when I was a kid. No, no, I wasn't either. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you coming back on the show again. Um, there's one thing I did want to tell you. Um, it was after our conversation, it was something that I want something that I had heard that I wish someone had told me my whole life. Um, one of my best friends has HIV, and when he found out he had HIV years ago, he's now undetectable. But what the infectious disease doctor, because he was scared, he thought it was gonna die. But what the infectious disease doctor told him, and this is what I wish someone had told me, and this is what I'm going to tell you now. I'm sorry this happened to you, and it's not your fault. I appreciate that. Yeah. That that means a lot because I I wore it my whole life. Like a lot of of things that did happen to me, I I wore it, and I I couldn't escape it. It was like no matter how much good I would do, it was just... It, it sat there until I was able to actually speak on it and deal with it. And I don't know. Now I just got to a point where I, I don't give a shit. I don't yeah. like what anybody thinks or whatever. It doesn't matter because I never, I've, I've never been to a funeral and seen two people in the same cast. So it, it makes absolutely no sense for me to even care about what the next person thinks and their perception can be whatever it is at this point, but I'm so content to a point where my anxiety, it only comes from pressure that I put on myself. It's like, right, oh, it's like, correct. Not, it's, somebody can walk in this door and, and call me out of my name or whatever. It takes so much to get to me that you can't, I've been through too much. It doesn't, right, it doesn't. Right, right, right. So, and I know my reaction, it used to be fight or flight, but most of the time it was fight. But now it's like, that shit does not matter to me at all. Yeah. Like, at it does not matter. Like no matter what you, it's not much you can do to me. Yeah. So a human can actually do to me. So I'm not, right. I'm, I walk with no fear. So yeah. It, yeah. So. That's awesome. And the stuff that we put on ourselves, cause that's like, I didn't realize um, perfectionism is part of anxiety. That was definitely me um, working on it. Still kind of, it's still there. 
but um, you know, it's, it's, it shows up in little small ways, you know, and I literally like, I'll be working on something and I'll be like, getting frustrated and then I stop and I go, Christine, you're trying to make it perfect. Fuck it. Right. Like, fuck it. Like who cares? Like who cares, you know, and what's going to happen if it's not perfect? Like what judgment? Okay. Bring the judgment. I don't care. My mother manipulated and gaslighted me my whole life, you know? So go ahead. At the same time in, in that same breath, what is perfect? Right. Whoever invented something, people, when people invent something, they come, it's a blank piece of paper. And they make it perfect in their own eyes. And that's what we are taught, like, what is perfect. I'd rather go against it. As a, as a software engineer, I put an immense amount of pressure on myself because I don't want to design like anybody else. I don't want to do anything like that. So anytime I have anxiety and I go do a, a new store development, I do a new build, I do it better and better every single time. And it, and, it, and it never goes with the blueprint that I had previously because there's no such thing as perfect. Right. It's just the and I at this point I know I'm the best in my field and there's not and I'm being the only black owned IT company too on top mm. of it that, that took a whole nother and that's where my pressure and my anxiety comes from because like last night for instance I had a store crash at 2 a.m. I had to rebuild a server drop it off this morning get them up and running I finished at 10 48 they open at 11 o'clock so pressure and all all that but I my brain just goes into hyperdrive and then I, I finally get to be like, Oh shit, I did it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm okay now, but, yeah. but there's no sense. I don't, I don't go with that perfect thing. It's no, it's that practice make perfect. It's not. Yeah. A thing. Yeah. Practice, practice makes difference. That's right. It. Oh, right. And, and what I have it, to tell myself, Christine, it's not about perfect. It's about the journey and the experience. It's not about the final result. It's not about, it's just about, being satisfied and being feeling fulfilled, you know? And so when you start worrying about it, things being perfect and that just, that goes back to your ego and your anxiety and your childhood and stuff. So, yeah. so after we did our episode, was there anything, I was curious, was there any sort of memories or anything that came up for you or something you were surprised by? Um, I was surprised at your situation more than anything. Really? Because, yeah. Yeah. Because you don't, me and you are not supposed to be talking. I know, I know, I know. Especially with the traumatic events and things that you've been through and seen, and then I can relate to it. Like, it it opens up a different dialogue because, like, even in previous relationships, you know how this goes. If you tell somebody all the shit that you've been through, they don't know what to do for you. But now you, you become a master manipulator on accident because you've been through something that they haven't. So they tread lightly and now you already know you got them on the hook and they'll do anything for you because mm-hmm. all you got to do is have one flash of the episode of some shit that happened to you before. Now you got exactly where you want them, but that's not really where you want them. But yeah, yeah, you don't know, you don't know what else to do with them. So now you're not necessarily manipulative, but you are because yeah. you're dealing with your, your things and you're moving the way that you want to move. And you're not allowing somebody into your space to understand you anymore. Right. So I'm, I'm cracking up because, because you're right. Cause so my thing, it was like, you know, when I meet somebody, I'm my authentic self, I'm cool. You know, I'm a cool person. I'm a cool chick and yeah. laid back and, you know, funny and whatever, go with the flow. But then as we're building a relationship, guess what happens? I turn into this perfect person where the house has to be clean. So by the time you come to my house, I'm going to look perfect. The house is going to be perfect. And you're going to go, 
what happened to that chick that was so cool? Like, cause she's just, you know, and I'll have no energy for you because, and then I'll be so like needy, like, like me, you know what I mean? Well, you yeah. already liked me, but now it's, I, it's this codependent thing. And definitely codependency has been something that I've worked through tremendously, but it shows up in little ways. You know, it's, it's really funny. It shows up in little tiny micro ways that I just, what I realized, like, for instance, you know, I'm in a relationship and I was going to go take a bath and I don't have TV, but I was like, I'm going to cast HBO on the TV. And he didn't even ask me to, but I was like, I'm going to sit here. He always says something about Batman. I'm going to find him Batman. And 10 minutes later, I finally find the Batman and put it on TV. And he looks up and he goes, oh, you don't have to put that on. And I go, <laughs> he's not thankful for the thing he didn't even ask me for. What the hell? And I was like, and then I just started laughing. Cause I was like, I should have just gone and taken a bath. Like, why didn't I, he's an adult, like. So it was, so you don't even realize like people pleasing and all these kind of stuff. And that's just from, from like, cause there's kind of different roles in like a, tr- in trauma and family, different family mm-hmm. roles. And I was always like the helper. I was always like, let me save and rescue everybody. Let me make, cause it, and it, cause it's uncomfortable for me to watch people struggle, especially men. So if you're, if I, and if I just assume you're struggling, maybe you're reading instructions on how to put something together. In my mind, you're struggling just simply because you're reading instructions, you know, but yeah. um, yeah, that's so I know we're not supposed to be talking. And I think it's, um, it's fascinating because we, we are all truly connected and we've all been through some shit, you know, and, you know, it's I the other day I was thinking about how, you know, my father was so racist. I mean, I heard the N word my entire life. He would scream it at people yeah. and you know, I just grew up in, in a, in a like white conservative world that I could not stand. It was like, cause it's just, that's not who I am, but I had to see these day in and day out, um, episodes, examples, events of injustice, because that's now my mission, you know, is to help spotlight injustice and find solutions. So I had to go through these things to get to where I'm at. And the other day I was actually like, I'm so grateful my dad was racist, you know, because I, otherwise there would be no connection. You know what I mean? And I was on a um, podcast episode, or actually I had uh, an African-American podcaster from Atlanta on my show um, the other day. And I was talking about how, you know, in my white family, if there is a black event on TV where something happened, a black issue and there's, um, you know, an African-American on TV, you know, talking about what had happened and they're upset. My white family is going to go, oh, another black person complaining, click. Yep. But yep. if it's coming from a different vessel that looks like them, it's going to make them pause. It's going to make them stop is what my assumption is. And I've actually had people, my, some white people tell me this. So I love that I'm, that I went through the things that I went through so that I can help people in a different way you know yeah and it and it gave you it gave you that that diversity to to learn all spectrums of people so now the color factor is out of it but you understand the injustice from both sides yes but a lot of people you know what i mean and being a minority it's uh it's it's hard because you don't you can identify all you want but you know, the crazy thing, we even live in this society now, they tell you can you can identify as whatever the hell you want in any in any realm, any fathom of what you what you see yourself as you can be. I don't care if it's man, woman, black, white, whatever. Now, at this point, 
but we still have the, you know, the collective racism going on no matter what. Because at the end of the day, it always comes down to, oh, this black guy did this or this white guy did this. And uh, you hear a mass shooting and they were surprised this time it was a Mexican that did, you know. Oh. The, <laughs> Damn Mexican. It, yeah, it, it, he, threw, yeah. he, threw, he threw a wrench in there. Yeah, it, he did. <laughs> Out of all the things that happened and, you know, it's just uh, to grow up like that and to, to hear stuff you value people different though, because you no longer see them. And then like how you say you were noticing people like struggling. I hate it. I hate it to a core. I don't care who you are, what color you are. I used to have this thing where I would go, you know, I'd go to 7-Eleven after, after work, get a case of beer or something, but it's, you know, it's always a homeless guy there or something. And whenever he's there, um, I just go to the back of the 7-Eleven drink a beer with him and just to hear him. Just to oh, give wow. him. Wow. Give them 20, 30 minutes. We're drinking six pack together in the back. Of, and I'm making good money at the time. I'm an IT director of a company. Um, and I didn't care about it. And I didn't treat him any different. I didn't do anything different because I just wanted to know, like, like how you got here. And because I needed the help, too. So if I heard somebody else's story, like, damn, man, I it really ain't that bad. I, it's, it's really not that bad. I, I can get through whatever I'm going through. So everything I was even going through at that point, it was just like, man, I... I'm seeing all these other people like here I am. I, you know what? My complaints are over. I'm, I'm going to stop looking at people a certain way because it's no, because I can be there tomorrow. Yeah. Like anything that somebody's going through tomorrow, I can walk out here and get hit by a car and my family's just gone. They, and yep. they don't know what to do without me. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm the treating people wrong. And even in business, I don't, I make it a point. I don't care who I do business with color of the skin. I, I just opened two Indian restaurants and it was the most difficult language barrier thing that I had to go through, but I got it done. I got exactly what they needed, but it was, um, it's, it's more of the, you know, the, the intellect and the, and the morals that you have within yourself that you can just be a good damn person. It, it costs you absolutely nothing because right. half, of your, half of your relationships will always excel if you're just a good person. That's it. You don't have, and, and shy away from anything that's not good for you. It's not about food either. It's about if it's not good from you, get rid of it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's not making you better. I've cut, I cut off friends because I didn't see him with his kid enough. If I don't see you with your kid enough, you can't hang around me. Mm-hmm. Like, because my wife asks you like, Hey, what, what the hell is his kids at? You know, that's good. Ass, <laughs> you know, I, funny. You know, that's funny. Where the hell yeah. is his kids at? Yeah, what the hell is his kids at? That's like, hilarious. <laughs> no, right? I haven't seen his kids in about six months either. He's always over here on Fridays party. Makes yeah. no sense. So I gotta, I gotta let you go because I, I noticed my trend in habits would be to take care of this person, to ask those questions, and then next thing I know, I got friends that you know it's crazy. Forty, fifty dollars. Hey, can I borrow forty, fifty dollars every other day? I stopped that. Yeah, like I. Don't loan money out anymore. Yep, it's just- yep, 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 yep. Yeah, and that's one thing, like back to the codependency thing, like shifting through that. Um, and it's pretty easy. It's easier now. But uh, if I feel like I'm about to make a codependent decision, like buy something off of Amazon for someone that didn't even ask me to buy anything, um, I'll stop and I'll go, wait, what are my needs? And then I also, the second part of it is I trust that if somebody needs help, they will ask me. So I just, just, I live my life and if someone needs help, they can ask me, but I don't need to just assume somebody needs help. And by the way, two people need to have that struggle, like to overcome things and, and, and build confidence that they can get through stuff, you know? 
So, um, so, you know, I, your story is just so powerful. Um, I kind of wanted to kind of follow up on a few things like your mom. So do you have a, so your mom had, has bipolar and she was married several times and there was a lot of physical violence that you witnessed from Mm -hmm. the different men, a lot of chaos, a lot of moving, a lot of, um, not very much structure. And I mean, do you, what is your, do you remember your first, what is your first childhood memory? Do you remember what's your first memory? The the bad ones or the good ones? Just the very first one. Man, it's tough. It's it's kind of a blur. It was um, it was always moving somewhere. Always. Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. That's my. It was. Ne- I never had a a stationary place ever, like ever during childhood. And yeah, it was just different men, and it. I can't think of a like a good memory where. Hey, let's pack the car up and go to Disney World. Never right, has right. So, what is your first bad memory? Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, nothing. Because it, it's always it was always a, a man involved, or my memories always they always go back to a car. You know what I mean? And we just we're going somewhere else, and mm-hmm. we're moving. I went to like eight different elementary schools, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Saying bye to friends, maybe. Yeah, like that. Then. Six months later, we got to go, and then we started another life with somebody else, and that's mm-hmm. that didn't stop until nineteen. Well, yeah, nineteen ninety nine. So I did that. So for fifteen years of my life, that's what I remember, and that's what I know. Wow. So, so, so I assume that it, I assume that structure is super important for you. Yeah, for for me being a father now, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it, it uh. I, I break everything down. I'm real meticulous on a lot of things and I can catch them. I've been through so much that I can catch them before they fall. But at the same time, I, I let them scrape the knee a few times. Mm-hmm. And, and I just learned how to not let certain things matter anymore. Like yeah. that I used to and realize like, oh shit, my behaviors are being impacted on my kids. Let me yes. lighten up because I got, just because I was treated like that. You know what? Let me not yell at him today because look at him. He's two. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And stop myself and be like, yeah, that response is not going to do it. Uh, yeah. But I, I just love on them and, and yeah. give everything that they, that I never had. And I don't even know how the hell I'm doing it because I never had a father figure to tell me, Hey, this is the way that you show love. But I just look at them and I'm yep. like, Oh, I got yep. this. Yep. So. Correct. Cause I, I was having, I went through this shift where I was feeling lonely, but I wasn't lonely. I have tons of friends. I, I mean, I have a, you know, great people in my life and, I was feeling lonely and I was like, okay, but why, what is it? So then I just kind of went down a rabbit hole and I was like, let me connect with my child more. And so I started reading like how to connect with your child. And I started reading about hugs. Like you're supposed to have four hugs a day for survival, eight hugs a day for maintenance, and then 12 hugs a day for, I don't know, your head's going to explode. And so in, in listening to your child, like we always want to give advice. We always think we need to respond and say something, but instead of we just listening and everybody just wants to be heard anyways. Like, and especially like with women, we were kind of like, we rescuers and savers and fixers. Um, we, you know, sometimes have difficulty allowing men, give them their space to, to talk, you know, cause we're just like talking over. We're trying to tell you instead of like validating how you feel, um, you know, we tend to be, cause we're, cause it makes us uncomfortable to watch you struggle, but, right. um, 
but yeah, connecting with your child. I mean, I had to teach myself that because, you know, I, I didn't even want to have kids. Like I didn't want any, I was so scared that I was going to be missing this mother gene and, you know, and, you know, there are people that, you know, in society too, kind of conditions us. If we have a baby and we go, Oh, we just love them. Well, it's like, no, I had to teach myself how to be a parent yep. and she needed a lot of things when she was born. And now I really like her cause she's cool. You know, she can, she's funny and independent, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, so how have you been kind of teaching yourself to be a parent when you had like terrible examples like myself? Um, it, it was, it was like a shift that, that just came over me because, you know, when I, when me and my ex-wife, we separated and here I am, I had the option to, to leave. And I thought about it and that's what changed everything because I, I only, I only live in Texas. I'm only here in Texas is because of my firstborn, Charlie. And, um, something told me to stay and fight because I've never seen it. I've never seen it done for me. Like I, I just, I just stayed. I stayed and I made the worst situation that I, you know, the nastiest divorce, the, the everything that I was going through. I, I, I just put that little girl first and I was just like, you know what? I don't care what happens to me. I'm, I'm not going to leave her. She had nothing to do with this. I'm, I'm staying for her. And the other babies, they just kept coming. And then uh, Sam is just amazing. So I was just like, oh, okay, well now I have even more incentive to be a better dad and make sure that, none of these kids are ever going to be outside of my roof as long as I'm living until they're ready to go. So, yeah. And everybody's going to go to the same school. Everybody. Everybody's everybody. We're not splitting up the school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, what is your relationship now? Like with your mom? Um, at this very moment, it's, um, I kind of, I, I distanced myself because I noticed like, It, it wasn't, it wasn't productive conversation. You know what I mean? It, it's always, of course it's, I'm proud of you. I hope, you know, I really mean it. I'm proud of you, but it's like, a, I don't know. It's something missing there. Something, it doesn't feel authentic. It sometimes it does, but it's always when I achieve or, you know, I can hit 30,000 in one month or something. And that's when I hear from them. It's when I sign big contracts and stuff, I, it's not like a day to day. Hey, Hey baby, I love you. Just wanted to make sure you're okay. So, uh, huh. I already have that from thousands of friends. Like right. not, I, you, you fit along with them cat with that category right now, because anybody can say, I'm proud of you, but not too many people will show it or to just be involved in your life and your daily active living. Like mm-hmm. if you really involved, I'm, I'm available, especially for my family. But if you choose mm-hmm. to be distant, I can show you this yeah. because I, because I'm on a, I'm on a, I have all these people to take care of and, I, I got a lot of stuff going on in a positive light that you know how many I'm proud to use I get before I get like damn I know you're over there struggling. Hey, I'm just I was just calling to check on you. I, I, I'll get the proud to use all day long, but not hey man, you know, I just I didn't want to talk business. I didn't want to talk anything. I just want to make sure you're okay. Yeah. If you ever start if you ever start there, but I rarely get that. And you know, it'll be a out of the blue, I love you and I look, I look down through my phone and I got 10, 15 other friends telling me the same thing. Yeah. But if you just fall in that category, I got to kind of put you there. So I don't, I don't put my energy towards it. Right. That's interesting. I was just about to say, like, 
if you feel like your energy is drained after talking to her, that's like a clue, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you feel like, have you ever told her, have you ever talked to her like, and told her like, this is what I need, or this is something that doesn't hurt. Do you ever no. like, no. do y'all talk? Like, is it like, does anybody in your family talk? You you can't, you can't talk to somebody that, consistently has always had a man in her life but never always the man was always first so now that she's married again or whatever it's it's him first and then it's us it's never the conversation they don't go anywhere they yeah. they're oh they they just they you know they'll start off high and then yeah tell them i even talking to this person yeah and, you know what i mean it's it's not the fact that i don't love her i i learned i learned the fact that i can love somebody but not mess with them for sure but it's like one of them things or whatever. But if you come around, you come around. I give you the same love, energy, respect that mm-hmm. anybody. But to have a one-on-one conversation, it's like my mom has been in this bubble of men and that she doesn't know. She don't know what the hell me and my, how successful me and my brothers really are. And, and mm-hmm. what we're and the things that we're accomplishing is we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be here. All three of us, there's no way, no, absolutely no way. The things that we're doing right now, absolutely no way. And, yeah. and and if she would take a break and just sit down with one of us instead of opening her mouth first, because you yeah. can tell her, hey, I'm going through this. Well, maybe you need to, hell no, that's not what I'm, I don't oh, want God. to. And you don't want to get advice. So that's the thing. Like, I'm not taking advice from someone that it does. I mean, I don't know how to word this, but that doesn't have a level of success that I have. Like, like I'm, I'm a, I assume like you like to surround yourself with people who are successful that like you can learn from y'all can like learn from each other they usually got something else going on better than me they'll have more money than me more intellect more yeah it because i i I, i'm not going to stay stagnant right and then it feel like i'm i'm lord like when i cut my friends off it wasn't just because he wasn't hanging out with his his uh his kids yeah the fact that 10 years ago i got him a job as a paralegal and right now he dj in nightclubs and worried about him dying every day because we're the environment that you put yourself in you know ain't nothing going on after two o'clock right and then like you know what i mean you put you purposely put you don't go from a paralegal 10 years ago right dj i don't care what you care what you do and then you're on child support you got a lot of stuff going on but i got i got go man because and the thing that like because i used to be because i've i've cut a lot of toxic friends out of my life too i mean it used to be so devastating for me but now I just go, you know what? We're just no longer an energetic match and that's okay. Like we're just different. We're, are, we're just not an energetic match. That's okay. We were once, but not anymore, you know? And so, um, you know, that's, it's not good or bad, you know? So, yeah. um, so, so, okay. And cause like with my mom, I cut her out. I stopped talking to her a year ago because it was, it was, you know, the gaslighting and all that stuff, you know, after my dad died, but she still tries to send my, my daughter stuff in the mail. It's called love bombing. She's cause she's a yeah. narcissist, but, um, yeah. you know, I just throw it in the trash, but, um, anyways, so, you know, and you, it's so funny with our interview, you would say something and it was like, uh, I'd have to stop and go, huh? Did he just say what he just said? And then I'm like, okay, wait, I gotta move forward this interview. Cause I gotta, I'm trying to get this timeline here, but I was like, Ugh. um, you mentioned your father. So um, you said he committed suicide. How old were you? I was nine. You were nine. 
And let me ask you this before we kind of get in the details of that. Who told you that he had died? Well, he called me. He called me the night before and uh, he just said, I love you. And it was kind of weird. And um, Mm. at at this point, um, I knew something was going on because we were staying at his girlfriend's house and we hear this big argument going on. It's him and the girlfriend. They're arguing, arguing. So me and my baby brother, we're we're sitting at the top of the steps and we hear him and he's storming out. And then next thing I know, we don't, we don't hear from him the next day. And, but he calls in the middle of the night, just to say, I love you. And then the next morning we get up, he's dead in the backyard. Um, so, you know what I mean? So that's how that whole situation happened. You, fa- and, you found your dad dead? Well, I didn't, I didn't technically find him, but I was at the house at that point in the, in the corners and everything there. He, oh it was my like, God, Chris. Ugh, yeah. I'm so, so sorry. Yep. So we were in that situation and I remember the phone call. It was the phone call the day before he told us he loved us. And it, it was just like two days going on that he would just get on the phone and just say, because of course my mom was already with another, her boyfriend at the time. He called the boyfriend phone. He never does that. And he just said, Hey, put you and Jonathan on the phone. I'm going to tell y'all something. And then we both got our ears to the phone. Just, I love you. Mm. And then uh, about a day and a half later, this is when it happened when we were standing at his girlfriend's house named Tammy. Um, wake up to the commotion, sit at the top of the stairs and then wake up in the morning and he's hanging in the backyard. So, and that's how, that's how that happened. But it was a whole story that went with it too, because there was a suicide note that was found out to be written by his sister. Uh, and she was a crackhead. I, everybody, everybody on my dad's side at some point dabbled in some kind of drugs. And he had went out that night with them and her boyfriend, John allegedly, they said it looked like my dad, he didn't hang himself. It looked like somebody pulled the rope and then strung him up. But my dad was six, seven. So you got to, you know, that's why it took me so long, so many years to try to figure out exactly what happened to him. And finally, before my uncle, his brother died, he, uh, he said, yeah, your dad didn't kill himself. And I just want you to be at peace with it. So I, I spent all my life until about, shoot. 2017 before I decided to actually just let it go and be at peace with his death so and I was in therapy so so did you so so you your your uncle told you that he didn't really kill himself had you suspected he didn't really kill himself before then all my life all my life it was too many moving pieces and John the boyfriend he of my aunt disappeared and then my aunt writes exactly like my my dad uh, wrote a suicide note for him on his behalf or whatever. And it was just two staged and it was snow outside. So they couldn't really put it as a suicide. Um, but they told me that's what happened. And I'm still the detectives that found him and uh, did the autopsy and everything is actually one of my cousins. So uh, for years, I always wanted to know like what happened. And they said they always keep saying it looks like he was on his knees first and then he was strung up there. And then you got to understand it was only this much room for him to get down from the tree. And he, if he would have just had his toes down, he would. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Right. But they said he was, it was drugs in the system, of course. So uh, just never, just never know what happened. But I, I just knew he was asking for, he went around to a lot of different family members, house, houses to ask him if he can stay tonight before this incident happened. Then he finally ends up back at a, Tammy's house in Peoria and then that's when the incident happened so 
So, so I, but, but I'm at peace with it though. So yeah. You want to hear something ironic? My dad had a girlfriend named Tammy. <laughs> you gotta stay away from them, Tammy. <laughs> yeah. And well, he really did a number on this Tammy, but um, it was kind of the roles were reversed. And he, like my mom would, and I don't know if this is true, but I think it probably actually this is true because my dad did a lot of drugs and, you know, was drug dealer and things like that. And he would be like pistol whipped, like when my mom would drop me off, you know, when I was a kid, you know, it's so crazy. Like, could you imagine being divorced and dropping off your kids and Sam was like pistol whips? Like what you would, there's no way in hell you would let your kids stay with her if she was, you know what I mean? Like what no, the that, hell, man? I cannot imagine that because I know where I would be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just crazy to like drop you off at your father. He's a raging maniac on drugs. Good luck. You know, it's his weekend, you know, it's just, it's just nuts. Um, so do you, are you, do you talk to anybody on your dad's side of the family? Uh, honestly, social media, um, I come to find out, I didn't find out I had other brothers and sisters until his funeral too. So what? Uh, yeah, their pictures were in the casket. I was like, who the hell are these people? And what the? Oh my God. I got a, I got a, his sister, uh, I mean, his tombstone even says, uh, rest in peace, Lawrence Baker, uh, love your daughter, Janae. And I was like, what the hell? Like, okay. You didn't know so, who Janae was? Yeah, I know who she is. I knew she was uh, my half-sister, but mm-hmm. I never had a relationship with her. Um, every time I go back uh, to Peoria to visit, which I never really go back, they, everybody knows me there. So they, yeah. you know, they hit me with the, hey, you look just like your dad. And and I know ev- I know everybody. I'm the only person in my family, like out of my brothers that, and I went back every summer. So I, I lived in Peoria, Illinois, every single summer after my dad died. And I made it a point to live there. So I know all mm. of my all of my dad's side of the family. But I did that on purpose to stay closer to the Allen side and the Baker side because I wanted to know my family. And I did that on my I love that. I love that. That's just that's beautiful. Um do you like what kind of things would you and your dad do when like when you would go visit him? Um, basketball. That's it. He, oh, uh, really? yeah, that's the reason why I played. Cause he, um, he played in college, uh, and he played a little semi-pro, but him and my uncle, they would call them shake and bake. And I remember that as a kid. So I would just, uh, go to the basketball court with him. And then that's the, the, I've only had good memories with him that I can really stand out. But, you know, my mom would tell me different, like he would come in and, but whatever he did to her, I know how my mom is, which is sad to say that I can see it going both both ways. But I think my dad probably did take it a little bit further and, you know, with the physicality of it, though. So mm-hmm. and it was a lot of drugs involved. It was a lot of uh, pimping involved from my dad. Like I, I I saw it, but I didn't. I was too young to put it together because I just idolized that. Dude. Yep. So, yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. He never confronted me. So I didn't I didn't know any bad about. It. Yeah until I was told about it. And I've only been told by one person bad things about my, my dad. And that's your mom. Exactly. Mm. exactly. Nobody else has ever spoken ill about my dad. Not one person almost 30 years later. You know, nothing. Like, not, I haven't heard one bad story about my father. So. That's interesting that she's the only one. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But. Kind of speaks volumes, right? Yeah, yeah. But then it's, you know, that's why 
her cycle of relationships always end up with her isolating with another man and yeah. and getting a, getting not you know not necessarily a soft man but pretty meek in my book like yeah. just just meek to a point where he's he's up her ass and doing everything that she wants him to do and and working his ass to death and then now all of a sudden hey I don't she gonna drop drive the like bring them to the ground like it's, yeah. it's well, crazy she's gonna get bored chris i mean she'll get bored because after she's got them all trained then it's time yeah. to move on to the next challenge you know yeah do you, yeah. Do you ever i mean because all the stuff that you've been through do you ever like have any like ptsd symptoms like flashbacks nightmares any of those all the time, all the time? flashbacks all and time. nightmares both or one probably more flashbacks though because i People think it's like a deja vu thing, but it's not for me. It's like a, I I see things coming way before, and it's like I don't I don't intend for it to be that, but it's like oh shit, this just repeat. I just did this, yeah. And then then when I sleep, um, of course, in, like being incarcerated at one point too, a lot of stuff comes up, even childhood stuff or whatever. It's like this um, very aggressive, uh, aware sleep that I have. Like if you walk by me, you think you tiptoeing. I've I've heard you probably. Wow! Other- so you're not really sleeping. It sounds like. I don't. I don't. I, it's it's more of a wait. Like yeah. I just wait. But I but I know. But my body does crash about two times a month. That I could. That I just gotta just lay down and then boom and then I'm back up. So so that kind of that's kind of be my cycle. I I'm up until three or four o'clock every morning. I mean every night until three or four o'clock and then. Sam leaves for work at seven thirty, so that's my day starts then. So that's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. But I, I, I don't, I don't mind it. But I, I did a study a long time ago in college. They just said I was a, a super sleeper. So, but whatever that means. But so, oh, so how do you how do you handle when those memories and nightmares come up? Like, what do you what if, do you have like a process that you do? Do you just bear, white knuckle? Sorry, white knuckle it. And um, how do I mean? How do you deal with it? Uh, I I wake up and then I I realize like exactly where I am, like exactly where I am, and and that's not real. That's not there anymore. Yeah. And and it's not that I block it out. It's just the it doesn't it doesn't impact me. I you know I can wake up and sweats and I'm like oh shit okay like I'm okay I'm I'm here, and then yeah. I'll you know I'll go talk to Sam and and you know, she, she can wake me up with like a fingertip and I'll wake up like in a, a quick twitch and yeah. Be like, yeah, I'm okay. You just scared the shit out of me. And, yeah. But, yeah. But, but it's, it happens because of things like that though. And the right. things that I, is it, and, is it the same <laughs> memory? Is it the same memories over and over or is it just all different new ones? Uh, it's, it's different. It's like so, some bad things and then some foreseeable things like, you know, like, I can, it just feels like I've, I've been here before a lot of times, like for a lot of different things that happen that nothing, absolutely nothing can surprise me. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, my body, it's like going forward and backwards at the same time, because it's reminding me of situations and things I've, I've been through. And then, you know, like being incarcerated, I was a little naive when I first got there because I didn't know the rules, getting cool with the wrong people. You know, and sometimes you can catch me. I'll look him up to make sure he's still locked up or something like that because I I got into a lot of fights just for being intelligent. Like it just 
you can't be smart in there. It's, there's no reform. There's no There's a mentality like in there. Yeah, yeah. And then you're better than somebody else and they don't play that. And huh. next now you got to dumb down to their level. And and if you say a word that they don't know, you know, you automatically yep. not black. Right. So, you know, I was about to say that you're white. Yeah. But, right. right? I was to, actually just about to say that. Well, yep. there's this um, there's this thing. It's called neuroplasty. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but mm-hmm. it's basically, um, and I'm not giving medical advice or anything. It's just something that <laughs> I have read about um, neuroplasty from Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he's this neuroscientist. And talking about you know our memories, you know our emotions, our our emotions that we're experience, experiencing today are just stored memories, childhood memories. You know, we have all these different parts of our brain that do different things. So like if we're reacting to something today, it's actually a stored emotion from childhood. And so like with, with flashbacks and stuff, they say like, you know, there's all different kinds of therapy. There's different medications. And in my view, in just the pattern I've seen, they don't really seem to work. Um, I don't know if you've done like PTSD therapy or anything like that, but I've, t- I've taken uh Prozacin or Prozacin. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That was, that was pretty helpful, honestly, like for yeah. uh, nightmares that I used yeah. to have. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's, and there's different like complexities of PTSD, but so like one thing that I did, I started doing like when I would have like a memory, a memory come up, like, for example, when my dad was like threatening to shoot my mom in the head, mm-hmm. what you do is you go right before that memory, the thing, the trauma that happened is you create a new one. And it's like, what happened before that? What would you like to happen instead of that situation? And so what I would do is for like a week, when that memory was coming up in my mind, I would create a new memory of my dad opening the door, my mom walking in with my stepdad, and them both saying, you know, we don't get along, we're getting, we're getting divorced, but we're going to try to be friends. And so, and just like over and over and over and over until my brain believes it. Um, cause your brain, you're not your thoughts, you know, and you can retrain your brain to do many different things. So that's like one thing that I've, you know, done, that's been helpful for me is recreate those memories. Cause they're like locked, right. But they're, but you can do different things with them, you know? So anyways, um, so you had mentioned, um, losing your virginity at a young age. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So was this, I mean, you're a kid. I mean, how old was the person that you were with when you lost your virginity? I was 11 and she was nine. Oh, Lord have mercy on my soul. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, that, so cause I, I was about to like go into the blame thing. How old was she older than you? Like a babysitter type situation? No, it was uh, my best friend's uh, sister. Yeah. So, and they say uh, that too, like, you know, like you had childhood trauma. Like that is like very, very common, extremely common for you know, losing your virginity at an early age. And, um, did you even know what sex was? No, I, I would, um, see it on the TVs, you know, find, you know, find tapes around the house and stuff like that. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, of course. Like, you know, you just a normal thing, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but you know, one summer after, you know, after my dad passed, I would go stay, live with them and, uh, my best friend and him and him and I mean, me and his sister, like we would be in the basement or whatever. And now it's just like this whole experimental thing. We don't know anything. Um, 
all I knew is she was well developed and everything. I be, I didn't even have hair under my arms. I I didn't know anything. And then it was like the first like the first time I even uh, I ejaculated. I didn't know what I did. And I remember running down the hall. I, I mean, I ran down the street to one of my friends' house. And I asked her, I said, how much semen does it take for a girl to get pregnant? Like I had no, I had absolutely no clue. I said, is it like, cause I think I had about this much. I had this whole, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but yeah, you know, but it, it, it continued uh, every time I would come visit. And then one, one year it just stopped, you know what I mean? But, uh, but then I looked up and I couldn't even like, co- you know, college came, high school came, everything else. And it was just a, I couldn't even tell you my number at all at this point because it was like a, I know I'm in the thousands, but I just don't, I don't, I don't know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it really doesn't even matter. Right. It doesn't even matter because it's all the, it's like different people. It's just the same role though. Right. Like you were trying to, you were trying to see, there was a need not met in childhood, obviously. Right. And you were trying to seek this love through this way, you know, just like myself, when I had sex for the first time at 14, I was seeking love because I was, my needs weren't getting met. And story about my virginity is I didn't tell the guy, the other 14 year old that I was with, that I was a virgin. And so like I bled everywhere and he was like, were you on your period? And I was like, no, (laughs) you know, and he was like, huh, (laughs) you know, and so, um, no more questions were asked because then he gave me crabs after that. So, um, so that was a fun experience, but, um, but yeah, that's just, it's so crazy. Like, you know, the things in childhood that you go through and, you know, you're seeking love and, and all these, I mean, people seek love and trying to get their needs met in all different ways, sex, shopping, money, you know, overworking workaholics, you know, they, and they seek all these things outside, you know, and then, you know, that's like with my journey is like finding it within instead of externally, you know, because mm-hmm. um, yeah, you don't, you really don't even know what you're looking for. Right. Just, right. You just, you just try just trying it and it, don't, it won't work here. Won't work there. And then right. you just, and all of a sudden you put yourself in a worse situation because you could be hurting people on top of it though, because yes. Yes. You, you don't you just don't know. And I know for a fact that, you know, I, I, I can't even mention their names, but it's some, uh, like some pretty prominent people that I, that I have been with that I hurt them more than anybody mm-hmm. because, you know, they were pretty up there and they, they wanted something normal, but they thought I was that normal, but I'm not, I'm not. So, um, you know, they, they had their own careers, everything else. And it was like, they invested so much into me that I'm still out here. I'm living. So, so yeah. but I don't, I'm living for, but I know I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to go get it tonight anywhere. Yep. 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 Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I know like a lot of women, myself included before in the past is like, let's say you're dating somebody and they don't call or whatever. And, or they're ghosting you or they're not being consistent. Like consistency is the most important thing in a relationship for me consistency mm-hmm. makes it helps me feel safe if you're not consistent and inconsistence is just like hey I can't talk right now um but I just wanted to say hi or something you know I ha- consistency is the most important thing in fact it's a total turn on too you know like it's if you're consistent you're going to get some sex for me you know what right. I mean so um just be, and it's it's really the, and it's funny I'm kind of getting off topic but men it's like 
they're so, um, when they're dating and stuff, like they're so like, oh, I want to get a go so fast. Like, let's have sex, let's have sex. If they would just like be a little patient and be a little consistent and just wait a little longer, you know, they would probably get the thing that they're wanting to get. You know what I mean? But um, anyway, huh? <laughs> you know who I'm with? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is funny, but yeah, so, you know, we're all like seeking, seeking these things, but um, so, you know, how did your wife, cause so you, you are you, on my other episode, the reframe episode 28, you sat down with Sam and you told her everything. I mean, you even told her about the women, everything. She knows everything. Yeah. If she asks any question, um, she knows about specifically like, Miss Minnesota, Miss Iowa, she'll know, like, you know, the, anybody, you know, yeah. she the questions and she knows the names, she knows who they are. And, uh, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't affect her at all because I didn't have to tell her, but it was just like, oh, okay, well, I, but I'm still not going to put her in certain situations where, oh, this is a person that I used to be with, or I'm not going to turn the TV on and be like, oh, let's just watch this and purposely do yeah. crazy but it's like I I don't care I don't I don't care who knows like because I I lived in so much uh so much of a nutshell but I was really popular at the same time that is the hardest thing to do yeah because when you're walking around with shame like all this shame about all so many things you know yeah and but you're just covering it up with people with more and more bodies and bodies and now all of a sudden you're just like damn I just ran through all this like what is yeah hold on why am I still unhappy yeah. And even in college, I even tell you, like when I was in junior college playing basketball, um, it was a 15 girl roster. I had 11 of them. Like I knew I, it was crazy. We, I just talked about this to one of my friends at the barbershop and we were just going because he's from Peoria. and He lives here uh, in Arlington. And he has started a barbershop and we were just talking about this, but I still couldn't pinpoint you what made me do it, why I did it. Um, I I had no morals, no values, no respect for anybody's relationship on top of it. I can know the guy that she's in a relationship with. And I, I had just played a game with him and wouldn't care. She'll be in my car waiting on me. after the game. like, I was, I was out there. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, is like your childhood, similar to mine, there was no boundaries, right? Like no. there were no boundaries. Like example from, I'm just revealing all kinds of things on this episode today. Um, so when I was in high school, you know, I was experimenting, I was bisexual. And so I was with this girl and two years later, my dad was with the same girl. Oh, oh man. Hey, okay. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Okay. My oldest brother's dad now is married to a girl that me and four of my friends, uh, on camera, just a whole yeah, just a situation. So yeah, and uh, yeah, it, I didn't find out until until my my you know my stepfather passed in 2010. I go back to Peoria where they were living, and she gets out the car with my brother's dad, my oldest brother's dad. I'm like, oh shit! Like, come on, no way, no way. And it's all my friends. Like my friends find I'm in town. It's all the fellows that was there that night. And it was on her like 19th birthday or something. And it was just a big party. And yeah, this yeah, but I didn't, they're still together though. Happily yeah. married. Well, you know how I found out was I hadn't talked to my dad in a while and I called the house and she answered the phone. She was living with him. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. So, and then my mother took one of my friends' virginity. So, so it's like we were raised in an environment where there were no boundaries. The boundaries were so damn blurred. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's like, how do you, how are you supposed to know that? And plus your brain's not developed. Your brain doesn't develop till you're 25. So, so you're out there trying to like figure out why you're unhappy. You're trying to get your needs met and you're just rolling around doing your thing. So how yeah. does your, so your wife, so Sam, she's just kind of neutral about it. Yeah. About, about my past. Yeah. yeah. Because, because she understands yeah. like her being in psychiatry obviously helps yeah. a lot. She understand the fulfillment that I've been searching for my whole life that I never got from anybody. Mm-hmm. So here I am, I would give you my all in one night. And and I didn't have I didn't have a, a preference. I didn't have an age range. I didn't have anything. Cause if you saw it, it, it the demographic is all over the place. That's so fascinating, Chris. Yeah. That is I really fascinating. Yeah, I did I you didn't have care. a type. No, not at all. Not at all. Because what I would do is typically like if I if I go out. Well, when I would go out, it, it would be, I would literally go for the ugliest one most of the time, just because, just because of the fact that pretty one is standing next to her. And I know why they, they brought her out thinking, Hey, we're going to make her drive and do all this or whatever. No, I'm no, I'll take, I'll take her. Wow. They, that's fascinating too. Yeah. So the craziest things, you know, who you would get a call from after that, it wouldn't be that girl. It would be the pretty girl that blew you off in the first place. So now it turns into this, I can't believe you went home with her because I didn't pick her. I didn't pick the prettiest one first. Because she just I, assumed you were going to pick her. Correct. Correct. But I went with the, went the you know, the mediocre one instead she of. Thought she had the job already, you know, correct. She wasn't even going to audition for the job interview. Nope. I'm too, I'm too modest of a person for that and, and too chill for a person to, if you go, if you, if, if you have to go out like that, then that's too much upkeep for me in the first place because I know your, your self-esteem is out there, but you, you bring the big girl because she has the car and the money and I know what y'all doing. Don't, you know what? I'm just going to show her some love. So that's so funny. I love talking to, to her. Yeah. Her, they're lonely, single. And then, you know, my brother, my brother would come over and he's, you know, six, two, two, two forty. And he'll come over and do the same thing to the other girl. And it doesn't matter. And we just, and it was just more of a, Hey man, we're not, we're not here to do that. Everybody's going to have fun. And it's it, all my fun would turn into, I can't believe you just, you just so outspoken. And I say, I really don't give a shit. Yeah. And they were like, Oh, okay. And here we, yeah. here we are. It turns into jokey, jokey, jokey. And then all of a sudden it's just a spend the night. And then we, it, nothing was planned, but it just yeah. happened. Well, what I but, love about what I love about your story, Chris, is your path, your path to loving yourself, and then the, also the love story of you and your wife. Like that is just so special. So, mm-hmm. would you say? And you don't have, you know, maybe it's not, but I'm just I'm thinking. Would she? Would you think? Is she the first part? Is Sam the first person like you've been intimate with that you like truly loved? One thousand percent. What? What One- was that? A, was that? overwhelming for you that yeah, experience the first time it ever happened was the first time that uh she told me she loved me and I oh. think we said said it at the same time and it was like uh because I remember I get it's on a little block too it was um uh August 18th well actually act sorry September 19th the first time I kissed her was August 18th 2016 
but September and I waited and I usually, you know, I'm like, dang, okay. But I'm driving, you know, two hours every single day just to take her out on dates. Uh, you know, it's an hour there, hour back. I'm living in uptown at the time. And, and I was driving all the way out to Fort Worth to see her and I never stopped. I never missed a day and sending flowers, doing everything I'm supposed to do, but nobody ever had me like that. You can't ask one person like, was he doing that? Mm -mm, Nothing. And I I knew that was my last final stop and I was, I was okay and comfortable with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I bet to me that would be like overwhelming. Like if you haven't ever experienced that, you know, that like deep love, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's what made it work. Like through everything that we've overcome. And then even with my, you know, my little stint, um, I, I knew I would come home and make everything right. Like she doesn't, I took over the mortgage. I took over the car payments. I took over everything. And, um, she just gets to chill. You see, she doesn't work Mondays now. I'm working on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so she can stay home and just be a mom. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. And it, and it makes me, when, every time I look at her, it just makes me go a little bit harder every single day to put her in a situation, but not wear myself out, but just put her in a situation like, damn, she, everything that she did and did for me, and then she stayed for this relationship, she deserves it. So yeah. I, I just, happen so yeah and I was curious like um because you know healing never stops it's a it's a lifelong journey you know um and you you, actually like kind of when you get comfortable is when stuff will come back up you know like this past weekend I was rearranging stuff in my garage because my man was moving his boat in my garage and I was with my 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 dad you know he died in March of 2020 and I he I've I like went through grief does an interesting thing to your brain because I just, I was like stagnant with all of his stuff for a year. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to look at it. It was just avoid, avoid, avoid. And um, so I was kind of like, I mean, every time I walked into the garage, it just felt so overwhelming, like his furniture in there. And then a few weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I actually, I can have a plan now. I'm okay. But I started moving his stuff around, even the table where he died at. And I didn't even realize like my subconscious and then I was getting hot and I was, you know, thirsty and, and, and overheated. And, um, I started like feeling, you know, I haven't had a panic attack in a long time. I started feeling it was coming up. Like I'm about to have a panic attack, you know, like I wasn't feeling safe. Like, and I started to tell myself, you know, Christine, you are just fine. This motion is here. Just let it, you know, be. And my, my man was like, you know, what do you need right now? And I was like, I need a hug. And he hugs me. Are you, when you have stuff like come up, like, what are some things that you need whenever you're having anxiety or anger? I mean, well, let me ask you this. Cause sometimes men have more difficulty identifying their emotion. Cause it's more physical in men. Like their body feels like on fire, you know? So mm-hmm. What's, are you able to identify different emotions? Oh, that you're- oh yeah. 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 I, I, I learned a lot of different ways to, to deal with it now. It's a, instead of me getting, instead of, are you, I'm a shutdown type of person. It, so instead of shutting down now, I actually can tell her what, what my problems are and what my issues are instead of that, you know, that brash reaction that can lead to you punching a wall and, saying fuck this shit i'm out of here mm-hmm. i don't leave anymore i don't do that I, I don't it can be the worst situation together but i i i signed up to protect you and to be with me be with you for the rest of my life so 
I'm, first of all, we're not going to have an argument. Like we're not, we can, we can have indifferences, but it's not when, when the octaves start raising, I gotta, we gotta chill for a minute because you can give me my space. I can respect your yeah. space. And, and uh, it's, I don't take life too serious. I really don't because it doesn't, we just here for a short amount of time. So why? And I always tell her anytime we have a indifference or anything, like don't you leave or we can't, that we can't do that because you know, you leave, you go get into an accident and now your whole family is like, shit. Yeah. What was yeah. my last person? I've already said so many last words to people that I'm not about to go through that and put my, yeah. put through that just because I was pissed off that I got to run to the bar. I'm not going to do that. And then yep. get a deep and then here we are. You know what I mean? It's, it's too many. Yeah. But now I just, I, um, I'm vocal now. I actually speak, mm-hmm. but it took me, it took me to go away. It took a, a lot of different things though because i've seen the physical i've done the physical and then it's like shit bro you why are you fighting so much yeah yeah more this person actually loves you but shit yeah. she just she just don't like you right now it's okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so. and you know you bring up a good point because you know to ways to release trauma it looks different men versus women like women we should dance and move body flow and mm-hmm. men, they're supposed to do physical stuff like chop wood, get after it, and that like physical stuff. So I could see where your body is wanting to get that emotion out, you know, but you were never taught how to do that. It, it's like, you know, this oh, is only in a negative something physical, you know? Yeah. And I've only been taught it in a negative way from what I saw, but I realized it wasn't, it wasn't on women. It was on the fact that I didn't like men. I didn't like men because I, I, I had a zero impulse, like when I, when it came to men, but if you were around me, you'll get the rap vocally. And then it's like, shit, here I am. I'll beat up somebody extremely bad. And then it's like, damn, it, that made me just look crazy to her because she doesn't even know that I, I had no gauge. Like when I would fight, um, I, I don't stop. And then it was like this one time that I fought and I was just like, man, like, holy shit. Like, what is that? So I had to, I had to go get help. And I actually went to therapy for it to try to figure out. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. But it was going to lead to something else though, because nobody should be this aggressive. And then it's like, because I look like the sweetest guy ever, but then it's like this, I don't know. I, I just go into protect my life mode because I don't, I don't know what another person can do to me because I was always so scared of yeah. somebody doing right first. Right. But, and you and you may have been like you know already hyper hyper vigilant at a level right mm-hmm. you know that what the next thing that's going to come around the corner and then one thing it's like you know over this over reaction kind of thing um i could totally see i could totally see why that would happen i mean that just just it would be normal it'd be abnormal if you didn't do those things the way that you were you know growing up and all the violence that you saw and everything I'm going to ask you one last question. What are you going to tell your children about your childhood? That's a tough one. Uh, Whoa. (laughs) That's a really tough one. I don't know. I don't know. Man. I never thought about that. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm crying. I mean, cause I totally get it. Um, like with my daughter, I, um, I, I mean, she's 12, so I say it on an appropriate level, but there'll be times where I'm anxious when a plan changes and I kind of like do my thing and have my reaction. And then I tell her, I'm sorry, because it's very important, like to, to be direct and transparent with your kids. They see something's going on. They assume it's their fault. So that's why I immediately like apologize because we're not perfect, right? You know, flipping out on your kid or, you know, being irritable, whatever, you know, and uh, immediately apologizing and, and telling her, I'm sorry, you know, and I reacted this way because this is what my mom would do to me. This is an example, just to let you know, like, I'm really sorry. It's nothing to do with you, you know? Um, and she's heard lots of stories about my dad, you know? So, you know, so, um, that's something to think about Chris. Yeah. And they, and, and right now they, they, they start to ask questions. They, yeah. They ask about my, my tattoos of my stepfather and everything. And um, I got every one of their names on me somewhere. At, and I can tell at some point where I was in my life too, but they, I don't know. I, I, I word, I worded to a point where I I made it to be the best father I possibly can, but it didn't, it wasn't easy, but yeah. if they ask no questions and yeah, I, I'll have to. Yeah. And I will tell you, those moments are so healing. They can catch us, catch us off guard or we kind of filter what we say or whatever, but those Mm -hmm. moments are so healing because when you're telling your kid, this is X, Y, and Z that happened to me, you actually, in that moment, realize how far you have come, come, how all the adversity you've overcome and how you were so different from that and that you're not your parents and then you're changing the game that you're breaking cycles, you're starting new ones and, yeah. and how beautiful it is that they get to carry your legend, your legacy of breaking those cycles, being transparent and, and your story and owning it and walking with it, surrendering to it and loving it. Yeah, man, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a lot. So that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I appreciate you coming on friends. I can't believe that we were connected through all this crazy craziness, you know? Oh, I know. Thank you. It's great though. It's great though. Um, Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate your time. Yeah, you too. Let's do this again. (laughs) You will? You'll do it again, please? Thank you. Yes, I'm excited. Thank you, Chris. Have a good one. All right, you too.